Welcome to the podcast. My name is Hal Crawford. Today, I thought I'd diverge from my standard format a little and share a few thoughts about managing newsrooms. I'm going to do this by way of a conversation with a former boss of mine, a guy called Michael Anderson. Michael was the CEO of MediaWorks when we had this conversation, and I'd worked with him in New Zealand through the preceding three and a half years. This was early in 2020. COVID was about to transform everything. And we'd spent the previous years fighting for audience and revenue as the media landscape continued to change. It was a slog. A few months after we spoke, the TV arm of MediaWorks was sold to Discovery. So what's the conversation about? Well, it takes some explaining. I had been on a quest to work out how to be a good newsroom boss for some time. Actually, I'd been on the quest probably my whole career, I reckon. And in the course of it, I came across the ideas of Alfred Adler. First through a popular psychology book called The Courage to be Disliked, and then through Adler's writings themselves. Adler was a contemporary and compatriot of Sigmund Freud. The Courage to be Disliked and its sequel, The Courage to be Happy, are excellent books. Don't get put off by the titles. As I stumbled my way through the job in New Zealand, I often felt like I needed help. Adler's ideas became useful tools. I came to see my most important role was to be an encourager both of myself and others. I adapted Adler's ideas and eventually distilled them down to 10 encouragements. These encouragements are just one sentence each, and I wasn't at all sure that they were correct. So I started bouncing them off people I knew. Michael was one of those people. He really had been an extraordinary boss, and he was always interested in ideas, as you will hear. For the record, Michael had been the CEO of Southern Cross Osterio previously, and a Fairfax board member. So that's the background to this conversation, which I present to you in a spirit of openness. I hope you enjoy it. What's your name? Michael. What's your full name? Anderson. This this interview should go well. Can you tell me? Can you tell me your role here? Yeah, CEO of uh, of MediaWorks. Have been for around about uh, three and a half years now. We've talked a lot about management together and managing people, and I'm interested in that. And I think, you know, hell of a lot of people are. You know, people's one of the key to success in a business or the key to success. So I started thinking that I'd like to write about managing people who didn't want to be managed, cynics, because that's where I came from, the newsroom. And managing people who don't trust you or trust the corporate entity is challenging and can be challenging and newspeople, you don't get a lot back from them and sometimes you address them and all you get is questions. So I thought it would be good to talk about that because all of the management books I've ever read sort of assume that people are really enthusiastic and want to do stuff and just don't know how or need to be led in certain ways. And there's not much material out there about managing hostile environments and managing cynicism. And then I came across a book called The Courage to be Disliked, and I developed 10 statements that I don't know if they're true or not, but I'm asking people that I respect whether they think they're true or not. So they're called The Encouragements, and and that's what I'd like to get your take on. And the first thing I'd like you to do, if you would, is read them out for me. You have chosen to feel the way you feel. 
being normal is okay, you have a job to do. Forget about being liked, forget about recognition, forget about approval. Every work problem is a people problem. Stop providing solutions and really help people. Making a contribution is a key to job happiness. Each person needs a place to belong. Any of those reach out and grab you? You have chosen to feel the way you feel. Is all about victimhood and choices that you make. Stop providing solutions is another key area. And, and making a contribution mm. is the key. Mm. So, yeah, they're the ones. There's a couple that I'm not sure about, but they're the ones that resonate. Mm. Yeah, I think there are some strategic problems that aren't people-related in terms of the people that you work with, but the solution is through the people. So I don't know that every, every problem is a people problem, and I'm not even sure every, you know, every important problem is a people problem or the ones that you care about because there are some things that um, can shift the ground beneath the business. The coronavirus can um, have a massive impact on a business. And, uh, and so within the business, it's not a people problem. What happens after that impact, that becomes the people solution or the people problem, but the problem is not caused by people. I think you and I have worked together over three years and during that time it's become apparent that you, you're a strong believer in personal development and, you know, you, for example, you gave me the book Radical Wholeness by Phil Shepard and, you know, that's quite a radical book. You're quite unusual for a CEO, aren't you? I think there's some pretty unusual CEOs out there, so, so I wouldn't put myself out as being unusual, but I think if you're dealing with people, you're either dealing with the symptoms so if you really want to deal with people, go try and find the core. And the core is an interior journey. It's, it's understanding who you are, what patterns you have, how do you react in certain situations, what triggers you, what doesn't, how do you relate to people, etc. Many times as a manager you get to, or a leader, you get to deal with all of the symptoms, all of the things that have caused a particular pattern of behaviour. And so an inner journey of whatever you want to call it, mindfulness, embodiment, wholeness, that's all about addressing the behaviours from the core, not from the exterior. So I think that's to me where people, people leadership and, and capacity for people to be unleashed comes from. And have you had people in your career who you've really helped, you know, who've really developed and changed and opened as people yeah some yeah some all to varying degrees we all we all progress in different ways some have really embraced that that journey to wholeness that understanding and others really would be far more comfortable in the doing and the achieving outcomes but yeah some have some have really taken opportunities to dive in and have just been drawn into that mm. this is not in the encouragements, but it's just sort of come to mind. You know, CEO, you're the boss of everyone. There is, you don't have an equal on the on the on the staff. You don't have a you don't have colleagues. You've only got people who work for you. Is that horrible? It is. It is what it is. It creates certain behaviours 
uh, and certain approaches that, that are there. And so, yes, um, it does mean I'm a little bit distanced. I have to be careful. So if you're relying on your work to be your, your circle of friends, then you know, that could be problematic. I, it's not necessarily because remembering also that I, I have a role to play as CEO. And it might be the ultimate responsibility or the ultimate accountability for the decisions that the business is making. But there are, but but it, it is very much a team. So I'm not. So that's not necessarily the issue. It's more that yes, you can you can be a little bit need to be a little bit isolated. I think. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's always struck me as tough. I always observe CEOs, and yeah, just felt like oh, you know, sometimes you don't feel great. You don't want to be the ones with. The, the energy you don't want to be the one that everyone is looking to to take their lead from and yet you have to be regardless of the circumstance yeah yeah i think i think for a good ceo that it's not so much as uh, it's not a problem it's just it's there to be managed and understood so you've chosen to feel the way that you feel so i'm sort of stress testing this one because even though it appeals to me in fact i believe it straight off it's you know, I've had people in my office and they're angry or they're crying or whatever. And mostly they feel like it comes from outside. You know, that sense of injustice is something that really gets to people. If, if they think they've been treated unfairly, that drives them absolutely wild. And there is, when it comes to yourself, there's a universal blindness to the fact that you're actually choosing that, choosing that emotion. Yeah, because, the, because it seems quite logical. You know, the statements like, you've made me angry. Or you've upset me, or or yeah, you know, you've made me feel sad. It's common language that we learn really early that others are the cause of how I feel, rather than these circumstances are there, but I do have a choice as to how I deal with them. But that's not common. It's not what we teach our kids generally. It's not what get, gets taught in school. And and when you look at a lot of poorer behaviours in business, it is all about shifting blame or being a victim of somebody else's incompetence or whatever else. So it's not a, it's not readily seen by everybody that, mm. that they have that choice in between what is happening and how they deal with it. And what's the consequence of, you know, people saying you're making me angry or you're, you know, you're, you're making me sad or whatever it is. I think there's two. I think there's one that you move into victimhood and if you're in this, this life is, you know, has its challenges. And so. If you're, if you're in victimhood in this life, you're going to have a pretty tough life and there's going to be plenty of situations that reinforce why you're a victim to things that are outside of your control. And as you get more and more out of control, then that's going to have its own negative consequences on the way that you interact with life. So I think that's, that's um, a key one. I, I think it's one of the most fundamental opportunities really for people not to, uh, not to allow that to um, essentially become part of their being. We had a situation with a company, actually, didn't we, which was the, the obvious strange market here with TVNZ being a commercial operator that was entirely owned by the government and we were sort of, we were railing against it, but we didn't want to be a victim. And we tried to pick that line. Yeah, I think, again, you know, coming back to, to victimhood is it, it can also make you comfortable. There is, it's not my fault. Um, it's not my responsibility. I'm not accountable. Did, did we do that? We did, didn't we? There was a little bit of, well, what, what can we do? It, it can happen every day. Look, look at my competitor. They're 
doing stupid things, I mean, how can you compete with that? That automatic assignment of responsibility to something else. I, 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 what can I do? It's not my fault. They're being stupid. It's a really easy thing to do. But if you do, you lose control. You lose control of your effort. Mm. Um, and just because you've got effort doesn't mean that you'll be successful. But then you can say, I did my best rather than it happened to me. Mm. Yeah. The stop providing solutions and really help people is something that um, appeals to me because I've had that, that experience, which I know that you've had as well, which is the desire to provide solutions. But if you succumb to it, you create a rod for your own back and you don't help the people. That's, that's exactly right. Both of those are, you know, have pretty significant consequences. But yes, the, the sugar hit of, of being the hero, providing the solutions, the ego boost, the emotional uh, enjoyment and encouragement you get from that, it can become um, addictive. And, and at the same time, almost, almost to the same degree for the, for the person that you're doing that for, completely stultifies their opportunity for growth and, and the opportunity to fail and learn. You, you and I have talked in this office many times about your, your journey, and I'd like, to, I'd like to cover that again. But one of the things you're very good at is actually being in a room of people, not leaping to solutions, even... <laughs> even if you know or you're convinced that you know what to do, but you let people talk and you let people have their way. And in fact, many times you've um, kind of rebuked me for not doing the same thing. When did that happen? When did that change? Was Michael Anderson always like that? I think in my 20s, I wanted to be the expert. And when you're the expert, you want everybody to recognise you're an expert and therefore offering solutions is the best way to do that. So I think my 20s, it was all about demonstrating to everybody how smart I was and how, and how useful I can be. Probably from the 30s onwards, uh, it started to shift. And I'm sort of, I realised that, that it's a very narrow view of the world. If the world revolves around my expertise, no one's going anywhere. So, so it started to shift really then. And then, and, and complexity of problems. I think that we've all seen people who want to remain the expert as the, as the world becomes more complex, they increasingly get isolated and become very unhelpful. And so I think as I just, from my 20s and into 30s, as the world became a bit more complex, that particular approach didn't seem appropriate really. Mm. And I couldn't be an expert on all of the, in all the areas. Mm. Making contribution is the key to job happiness. I think that was the other one that you drew out. So the, these ideas, are, they, uh, they come from the ideas of Alfred Adler, Viennese psychologist, and he was about respecting people. He, he was very interested in education and he didn't want there to be really power hierarchies between people, including teachers and students. And he said that, he said some great things like you've got to respect everyone, but not everyone has to be special. You know, being that's why being normal is okay, but that doesn't mean that people aren't worthwhile. He it's all kind of interrelated because you've got to feel like you're making a, a worthwhile contribution to the whole. We have guys who empty the bins. We have camera operators. We have editors. We have salespeople. We have people who do data entry. Everyone, everyone has a job. That's why they're here. There is no doubt that some of them are thought to be lower on the hierarchy than others. How do you think about that as a CEO and is hierarchy a problem? Well, I think hierarchy can be a problem. I think, I think the difference is if you see a business, family unit, 
a culture, anything, as a total set of interconnectivities, then every single element of that is important to the overall outcome. If you see that there's only a certain amount of people at the top that make all the decisions that are, in the end, the most important, and everybody else is there to just support them, so it's a little bit like your legs are there to just support, you know, holding your head up off the ground. If you have that view, which is nothing's interconnected, really, it's just all there to support me or to support that leadership team, then that hierarchy is incredibly dangerous. In fact, it's, I, I think it's, it's destructive. But if you see that as a living organism, a corporation is totally interconnected, then everybody in that thing is important. As we're finding out with the environment, you know, all of a sudden now we're thinking about it and we're noticing it. It's like everything's interconnected and you pull one thing out and there's a sometimes catastrophic outcomes to that. Whereas, you know, we've always thought nature's there at our beck and call. Now we're realising actually we're far more interconnected than that. So business, no different. You've talked to me many times about the environment and you, you care more about the environment than any CEO I've worked with before. That sort of pushes you in a certain direction, you know, because, you know, we've talked about advertising, right? And that's what we sell. We get attention. We sell advertising. You know, that we it's kind of what we do. It's what I've done my whole career. I think it's what you've done your whole career. And the other day you said to me something like, you know, I realize I've been part of the problem. And I thought that was slightly harsh, a slightly harsh judgment <laughs> on, a, on a career. Does that mean you're at, uh, you're at a turning point? You're flipping? Look, I think, you know, when I made that statement, uh, the statement is part of the whole global capitalism sort of structure that has, that has that's enabled us to be so disconnected to end up with a planet like we've ended up with and still so disconnected that we can't even work together to deal with the issues. So to that extent, you know, advertising, consumerism, you know, a disposable fashion, to all of those things and shocking food that leads to obesity. And if you look at it, if you look at it it's just, it's okay as long as it makes money. So the whole system has become a little bit sort of needs to look at itself. So to that part of it, I have been part of that system. It can't end, can't just stop it and go, oops, we went the wrong way. We need to be, maybe it's not all about growth. Maybe it's about sustainability. Maybe it's not all about how cheap can we make a product by, by sending it around the world to be made at, at you know, cheap, cheap, cheap labour. Maybe it's about supporting our local communities and not allowing them to break down which leads to depression and suicide and all the things that we're seeing. There has to be a transition. And so you're right, not all business is bad. And certainly not much business has bad intentions. So this is now about if you recognise these things, it's that sustainability might be more important to us now than growth. Communities might be more important than a cheap product. Then how do we go about shifting our businesses and shifting the mindset around delivering those, which would be much better outcomes. Mm. What are the things, and do they relate to any of these encouragements that really, you know, get to you about work life? I think there is a quote here, hang on, I'm just trying to pull it up, and it was at the end of Jojo Rabbit, and it's from Raina Maria Rilke, and it was, uh, let everything happen to you, beauty and terror, just keep going, no feeling is final. 
So when you had things here, forget about being liked, forget about recognition, forget about approval. That's really about trying not to be human. Can't forget about those things. Mm. They're really important human traits. We want to be liked and we want to be recognized for the work that we do. You know, we want to be, and we want approval from our parents and our peers and the people we respect. So to me, that, that didn't make any sense. Mm. But what it is, is recognizing that there will be points where you don't get approval. There will be points where you don't get thanked for doing something which could cause problems, but in the long run is better. There'll be situations where you do something to a friend or a colleague and you will be very disliked for doing that, but it was for the right thing to do. And so it's recognizing that let those things come to you, feel it. It's normal to feel it. Don't try and block it out. Feel it as a human being, but move on. But don't try and forget about it as if you need to be above it. It's absolutely fundamentally part of being human. What it is, is don't let it be your overriding perspective when you need to make a tough decision, yeah. right? You know, don't, don't do something because you want to be recognized. So don't use those human qualities for the wrong thing, but don't try and give them up because yeah. they are fundamentally part of being human. What's the, what's the hardest thing that you've done in your career? Oh, wow. I would have said, I would have said, um, letting go out of the organization, some close friends. But in the end, that wasn't that, that wasn't that hard in hindsight. I mean, it was emotional, but uh, right thing for them, right thing for the business. I think probably the hardest thing is accepting failure. You don't take the role on to fail. And every, every part of your being is about making sure not only that, that you're successful, but it's because there's a lot of people rely on, on a CEO's capacity to organize the outcomes, to organize the work that, that requires the outcomes and, and try and look a little bit ahead to look at the pitfalls. And so I think the hardest thing is to accept failure and, and coming back to that, that I am normal, not special, and, and failure can be quite sudden. You can be looking, going, as you, if you look at Australia over the last couple of years with some of these boards that have, and directors and chairmen that Th are thinking about the banks and, yeah. and insurance. And, uh, and you know, incredibly well respected, lifetime careers, exceptionally good at what they do, destroyed reputations within, you know, within a month. So it's recognizing that failure can be swift, it can be sudden, and it can be, you know, quite devastating. So, yeah, failure, I think, is the hardest thing. And to pick yourself up and go back in and potentially fail again. Mm. That's, that's that, I think that's where there's a level of courage. And when's that happened to you? Oh, multiple times. <laughs> multiple times. You, you, in, in, you've in, bombed multiple yeah, times? Yeah, multiple times. And, uh, and I've been lucky to get away with most of the time. I've been lucky where there have been great lessons that I've been able to continue to move on from. I haven't had to, they haven't forced me to leave a company or, or you know, have dramatic changes. But never been marched out the door. No, not no. But but having said that, probably if people had been paying attention, probably a couple of them could have could, should have resulted in that. But but I had the opportunity to learn from them and, and continue on. And and enough of those have been significant enough for me to look at myself to go, what would it be like with a big big failure? Mm. How do you pick yourself mm. up? How do you move on? How, how would it be if you are now no longer employable because of the size of that failure? Yeah. 
those, I think that's, that's a difficult one to, to deal with. I've got a question around relativity and the relativity of our problems. And, you know, as humans, we're all, we've all kind of got goals and doesn't matter what you're doing. You know, you could, you could be on a holiday and you get all head up about getting somewhere on a certain bus or whatever, whatever the goal is. You've got the advantage. I think before this role, you were not a CEO for a brief period. So if you compare the sort of anxieties and sleepless nights that you have at the moment with that period when you weren't a CEO, do you think that your relative level of concern and sense of responsibility just varies according to whatever you're doing? Or do you actually feel the pressure of being the boss of this organisation all the time? I definitely feel um, the pressure and, and every circumstance is different. Previous time that I was a CEO, I was, you know, had moments and years sometimes of high stress as the company squeezes through different things and different things occur. But the world was fundamentally a different world. It was a world of growth. It was a world where your competitor was identifiable and it was a world where you could set a five-year plan. And even though that was all very difficult within the context at that point in time, you could set the five-year plan and deliver it because the world was pretty linear. So I've grown a lot personally since those days, but the world has shifted dramatically. So now I find myself in situations where the competitors, it's not a linear strategies, where the, where the competitors come from behind you, up on top of you, underneath you, and where um, the speed by which change occurs can be, can be very difficult for a legacy business. So even though I've grown a lot, those circumstances are radically different to anything I've ever experienced before. So that leads to high levels of stress. I think that the, the difference is not, I'm not good enough. I'm not the monk that's gone into the cave for 20 years and come out totally zenned. The issue is how quickly can you come back to being centered, mm. but not can you avoid, for me, it's not about avoiding that level of stress. It's just how can I come back from that point of stress as quickly as possible? Mm. That's the difference. So if you think about what's important to running an organisation, managing people, what's missing from these encouragements might not be a defect, but what's important to you? I think what's missing out of this is how. You tell me to forget about recognition or tell me that being normal is okay. Tell me that I have a job to do. Tell me that I, that, you know, I need to contribute or that I need a place to belong. Yeah, yeah, all makes sense. What's missing out of this is, okay, how and that's that's the, the that's the contract that's missing between you know manager leader and in this and 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 colleagues or with the business board and management whatever it might be the all of these you know get a grip grow up you know yeah what's it telling me oh yeah yeah, oh, yeah okay it's not it's there's a how missing out of this and, and I think that's, that's I, I think this is damaging because you're setting me up for failure when I can't live up to these encouragements unless you can help me with how. Yeah, that's fascinating. What about the best thing you've ever done? I think the best thing I've ever done is to become open. Um, to become open that in many cases there isn't an objective reality, that, that people see things differently, that the differences of people are not because they're obtuse or that they're you know, bad or that, that it's enormously complex and solutions to me or, or situations that aren't 
that make no sense to me. Doesn't mean that they can't be true. Because mm. you know, when I use my brain, it just doesn't make any sense. So I think one of the one of the better things is is for a guy that was pretty black and white and pretty expert. I think being open to things that I don't understand or don't necessarily believe or don't see has been an important step for me. Does it, does it make you feel better? Enormously. Mm. Enormously. You know, and I still battle every day. There's things I come across where I go, holy shit, what a load of shit. And then I have to go, whoa, 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 hang on. You know, get rid of judgment, be open. If I'm, if the, 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 if I'm able to approach every conversation, every circumstance with openness, then I'm less likely to shut down people. I'm less likely to ignore. I'm less likely to go black and white. And I think, and I'm, I'm more likely to create um, a connection with the person I'm talking to. So the openness, I think, is, is fundamental. When you finish this job, are you going to be a CEO again? No. I think, I think for a whole range of reasons, but I think it's time. There's a, there's a new breed of CEO coming through. And they're smart, but they're more emotionally attuned. They're more connected to what's happening in the environment around them. They're more global in their views. They're more holistic in many cases in the way that they tackle business. And I think it's time to step aside and allow those people to come through and shine and, and actually start to shape the way the world needs to be shaped. And New Zealand's a pretty interesting place, isn't it? For me, New Zealand, I'd only ever looked at it from a nature perspective. Beautiful, you know, stunning, rugged. And so that's all I really thought about New Zealand because I love nature, so I just wanted to be in it. You know, so I've, I've learned a lot about the culture. I've learned a lot about how different it is to Australia when I thought they were pretty well the same. And and so, again, it's a reminder of, of, of when you think about zipping over to England for a trip and you know, having a week in New Zealand and then going to Canada for a couple of weeks, the nuances of the cultures just aren't apparent. Spending time living in a place, and, and it really is quite quite different. And all of those things about nature remain true, but but yeah, so it, it's far more nuanced and different than I thought. Thank you. That's actually been a really, for me, a great discussion. And is there anything, you know, after all, you're my boss still. <laughs> two, two more days? So you got anything got anything else you want to add? No, that's it. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. After this interview, Michael left MediaWorks. He became part of the New Zealand government's strong public media governance group, the mob tasked with working out how to structure Aotearoa's public broadcasters. Their report will be released early in 2022. Anyway, that's an introduction to both my former CEO and my evolving thoughts and theories on management. Thanks to Kevin for the music. The Crawford Media Podcast will be back early in 2022. Until then, go well and happy holidays from me, Hal Crawford. <laughs>